Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I am your host, Donna Bishop. And today is a designer spotlight episode, and I'm thrilled to have Evan Vidal in the studio. I don't want to say too much about Evan as an introduction because the designer spotlight is all about getting to know the designer. But I will say that some of Evan's fans include Tour de Force and model Stacey McKenzie, a few celebrity housewives, and international supermodel Iman. How you doing, Evan? Hi. <laughs> Thanks so much for being here. So we're going to start at the beginning. Tell me about where you were born and where you're from. Uh, well, I was born in Alberta to an American father and a Canadian mother. Um, so I am a dual citizen. I grew up in Saskatchewan with my mother after they divorced and my older brother. And then a boy from the prairies. I am a prairie boy. Like, they'll, you can't take the prairie out of the boy. It's true. And... Uh, then I have a little sister as well. And then I have two stepbrothers and sisters, or a Zach and a Sophie. And a Dean is my mother's partner still to this day. Um, so there was seven of us in the house. It was a very big family. A lot going on. Lots of bedrooms. Wow. Um, my parents uh, renovated homes. So we'd move into a dump, fix it up, and then move out into another dump, fix it up. And that's kind of how we lived for like, that's all I remember until I was done high school. What kind of kid were you growing up? I was a really awkward kid, I think, before I was like 14, I guess. Like, I just was, I don't know. I don't think anybody knew. My mom tried to put me in art school, which worked for a bit. And then I progressed too fast there. And so I was in this advanced program. And then it was like, they tried to make me do photography. But then I was like, failed really hard. Even to, to this day, I'm a terrible photographer. Um, I don't know. I've seen your Instagram feed. It's pretty great. Those I rip from other people's Instagram feeds. <laughs> so 14, that's an age that's, that's when we've talked previously that's kind of come up. Why? What was high school like? Why is 14 an important age for you? I just remember kind of feeling like skipping the teen years, I guess. When I was 14, I felt like an adult. Like I was like, I realized life was like up to me. I, you know, discovered music, my taste in music. That is still today my taste in music. I think Daft Punk was... Defunk was the album, um, or Homework was the album, Defunk was the song. And uh, yeah, I just felt, I don't even know how much I remember before that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think my mom would tell you that like she didn't really know what was going on with her son. And then as soon as I showed an interest in fashion, I wanted to make myself some overalls. She was like, oh my gosh, here, have some fabric, have a sewing machine, have a room to do it in. You've here, got, Here's an interest. Let me fuel it. Let me fuel it. Totally. <laughs> so what's the, so fashion is something that or at least the making of clothing. I don't know if you called it fashion at the time. How old were you the first time you you made something or you were aware of this thing called fashion? I was 15 when I first made a pair of overalls. And I had my friend Carlene make me a pair first because I saw that she had made my other friend something. And then when I got them, I was like, well, can you show me how to do this? Like, I want to I wanna do this. And so she just showed me how to like trace out my pants I was quite large at the time, so they were like really big cuts. Now, when um, you say overalls, I'm assuming you don't mean like Farmer Brown haystack overalls. What 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 were these overalls like? Can you describe them? Yeah, I mean, they were fat pant overalls. So they had about a 60-inch bottom at the ankle, each ankle, and then just sort of two straps and pockets here, but made out of like a canvas. I think they were like a navy blue. <coughs> um they fell apart, like the fabric, I don't even know. Who knows why they fell apart, but they fell apart real quick, so I could had to make more. Could have been all the dancing? <laughs> it could have been just the terrible sewing job. 
of a <laughs> beginner so, so uh, seamstress, which I get called all the time, which I'm fine with. Um, and what was it about, like, was it the experience of making them that really kind of started to resonate with you or just being able to create something that felt very much like you? Like when you put them on, you were like, damn, like I am, I feel comfortable in my clothes, literally. Yeah, I mean, I went to my first rave when I was 14 and it discovered this world of dance and music and fashion. Like everybody there had this sort of style that I'd never seen. It was in 1997. The place, the rave was called Voltage and it was thrown by these two girls that had a radio show in Saskatoon, um, DJ Wood. And I just remember being like, Wow, look at how cool all these people are. A I want to be rave. I love it. I want to be as cool as them. And so part of it for me was wanting to look like them, wanting to listen to the same music as them, and wanting to dance like them. So these were like the three most important things to me while I was a teenager. And so the dancing, I just started to learn how to dance and I started going to and I just started dancing and I ended up actually having a dance crew like it was a very serious thing. We took it very seriously. Amazing. We would travel from city to city, from like Winnipeg to Calgary to Edmonton, and we would all dance on the outskirts of these raves, and we'd like dance battle other dance crews, and it was very serious. Very serious. But it was also about what you were wearing, and so there was this crew in Calgary, Tracy and Norris, were kind of like the coolest people I'd ever seen in my whole life, and they were making their own clothes, and I was like, hey, I... I have to make clothes as cool as them. And I what did they have... look like? Can you paint me a bit of a picture? Like what do you remember like a particular outfit that Tracy wore or what, what some of the outfits? This was the outfit. So you'd have a track jacket and then you'd have a fat pant and then you'd have like an Adidas or a Nike sneaker and you'd have like a bucket hat or a visor and then you'd have a, some kind of like really tight, colorful shirt that you would once your, but your track jacket was how you knew you were a dancer. So it was a bit of taking from that like hip hop, but then the rave came in with the fat pant, but the sneaker was like, you needed a sneaker because that's your kick. You can't You're wear like, a boot, right? you know? And uh, that was the look. I mean, I was more like, I would have like a skate shoe and, uh, but I was always in the track jacket. So you'd go to Value Village and you'd just bum rush the track jacket section and you know, everybody's grandpa in the 70s had one of those cool, colorful <laughs> totally. piping. Totally. That was the look. Very Royal Tannenbaums. Yeah. <laughs> and if that was high school, what were what happened when you finished high school? Where did you go? Um, so I finished high school and, you know, I had I'd, at that point I had made a dress for the valedictorian in my school. I had made a couple of the girls' dresses. What did for, the valedictorian dress look like? It was a velvet sort of halter low back mermaid cut, I believe. And uh, yeah, I made a few grad dresses. I made my own sort of suit that looked more like a chef. It was like an asymmetrical Mandarin collar thing. Like I looked like a chef at my grad. I was also 300 pounds. So it was like a big, happy, well-fed chef graduating high school. <laughs> I doubt you looked like a chef, but I will take your word for it. <laughs> Sitting um, here with Evan, he is not 300 pounds, FYI. He's a spinner <laughs> and looks cut and hot and beautiful. <laughs> Yay, the justice. Um, poetic. And so did you have a lot of people asking you to make clothes for you when you were in high school? Is that something that you got requested a lot? Was that your kind of introduction, your your baptism almost into being a fashion designer? Yeah, I was making my own clothes. And then I started making other people clothes and they paid me like a little bit of money. And I was mostly just doing it for fun to see if I could do it even. And then I remember got, I got a job 
for about two months washing dishes Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights, which was all my free time. And I remember walking out of the job saying, you can make more money making clothes for your friends than you can washing dishes, Evan. And that was the last time I really had like a job, I guess. Where did you get the fabrics? Where would you shop? I mean, I would go to like a fabric land. This is Saskatoon we're talking about. This is so. why I'm asking. <laughs> I think you have a fabric land in Saskatoon. Yeah, for sure. This is the place you go. And I would go right to the bargain wall because I want fabric for a dollar a meter so that you can get way more of it. Um, very thrifty with my fabric land shopping, I remember. And were you, did you, were you very much kind of still using the the system you would with a client now? Like, did you consult with your friend? Would you sketch? Would they come shopping with you for the fabric? Or was it, here, sweetheart, I've I've made this for you. Enjoy. Oh, no, I'm sure it was more involved. I'm sure it was like the whole, like, okay, what are we going to do? We could do anything. <laughs> and like having way too much fun with it. Because now if I have to go with a client to fabric shop, it's all about like, you know, efficiency, getting it done quick, making right decisions, like in and out. You don't want to be dragging it out. I think back then it was all about dragging it out. And it was just so much more like fun to be like imagining what you were going to make and if you can even make it. And yeah. So that's your kind of introduction to being a fashion designer. What happened between that and Project Runway? What was happening in between those two things? So I left Saskatoon after high school and moved to Fernie, British Columbia. It's uh, w- My family would go there skiing every winter, and it was just our favorite place to be. It's a beautiful, beautiful mountain town. Stunning. And um, I was living there in the summer, and I was painting houses for a living. My mom had basically like... She was, she was painting places, so I was painting for a living. And we were painting a juice bar, and the owner was like, saw a skirt that I had made one of his waitresses. And he was like, oh, can you make all my waitresses these skirts? And actually, I have this space above my bar in this hotel. Do you want to set up a little shop? Like, here, come here and check it out. And like, here it is. It's like a bedroom, a living room, a dining room, and a bathroom. And like, you can do your thing in here and just maybe give me like 400 bucks a month, like once you get started. That's amazing. And I didn't even get a free month because it was so busy right off the bat. I was paying rent. And it was, yeah, it just took off. Like the whole kind of town, the word spread that you could go get clothes made by this, like, I think I was like 19 or something. And I was in that shop for a year. And then I went away for the summer to a Soyuz, spent the summer on the beach, and then came back and opened another shop on the main strip. Like a so, retail shop? A retail shop. So you'd walk in, I'd have my sewing machines here, I'd have my fabrics on the wall there, I'd have a rack of clothes here. I also sold some vintage. I'd go to Lethbridge and pick vintage coats. Um, it, the shop was called The New Place. It was like the new place in town. Um, so I was in that shop for a year, and then I, that was on the main strip. So then I closed that shop and moved to Victoria, B.C. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think I was probably 21 at this time. And then I opened a shop in Victoria, another retail shop on a, it was a beautiful sort of cobblestone alleyway off of like right across the street from Market Square right? Um, on Johnson where all the boutiques were. So it was right in sort of the fashion district of Victoria, dare I call it that. And uh, thought it was like living at the time. Of course. 21. You're an entrepreneur. You got your own place. This is amazing. It was amazing. And my loft was upstairs from the shop and like how that one happened. I was bringing shorts to Still Life, the shop in Victoria to sell my stuff at. And when I brought them there, when I was leaving, I noticed a for rent sign next door to them. So I like walked over, I was like, called them, put it on my credit card, like the first and last, and just opened a shop like literally the next day. And then was like, sorry, still life, I'll have my clothes back. I'm going to sell them right next door to you. <laughs> and they were lovely. I still like Robert. Um, I still, when I see them, it's 
it's great to still see them. But um, that's amazing. So you've been an entrepreneur, really, as long as you've been making clothes. Yes, but I wouldn't say like on purpose. Like I think it was just out of necessity. And then because the first shop was sort of handed to me, I never would have been like, yeah, I'm gonna rent out a space and have a store. Like, but he was he was so like, here, have it, do it. And so I just did it. And then when it was working, and then that's how that's what I related to money. So whenever I moved anywhere, I had to like set up a store now. Right. And so after Victoria, then it was kind of like I also came out of the closet in Victoria, and so it was this very like. 21 year old like super gay boy running a shop and like it was mostly like a nightclub half the time and like it was a lot of fun it sounds awesome I would totally want to be there yeah and I think I had like more money than ever before like it was like it was business was flowing I think it's something really cute about buying clothes from a 21 year old like I I think people just want to buy something because you're just so young like it's almost like that was half the reason but um I don't even remember necessarily how good the clothes were but I was doing fashion shows um, loved the fashion shows. And then I, when I was done with Victoria, cause I kind of just outgrew Victoria in my mind, I wanted to move to Vancouver. So I moved to Vancouver. I set up a studio. Where bits in Vancouver were you? My studio was at Abbott and Hastings. Okay. So basically like Vancouver's Lower East Side, which yep. is like, everybody knows what that is. It was yeah. exactly what it was. A little rough around the edges. A little Super rough around rough. the edges. That was on the second floor facing the alley. So you could look out the window and literally see like everything you could ever a imagine scope happening. scope of humankind happening before you. Yes. And uh, that was just, that was what it is. And I still was working out of there and helped, you know, proud of my little studio. And, you know, that was life. And then I got into film. Uh, costume designer Ken Shapkin put his belief in me and hired me onto his team for a sci-fi series called Painkiller Jane. And so I was on that series for nine months. And then a friend who was working on the series got the Project Runway Canada application and then filled it out and signed me up and then... Filled it out on your behalf. Yeah. I just, yeah. Did he like, or she pretend to be you? Like, did they, or was it like a nomination? Like, I nominate Evan Fidel <laughs> for this... Well, it was like the day the application came out, my inbox filled up with people sending me the application. Right. And my, I think Facebook was just a thing. 2007 was like, yeah. that's, I remember just having Facebook and like people were messaging me like on Facebook to apply. So Katie, who I was working with, she just filled it out because she was like, well, you're filling this out. You're going to go like do this. And I was like, okay. You know, I was like a little bit partial to it. I at this point never read a fashion magazine. I still don't read them, but. Um, you know, I felt kind of like, I just felt like I could go and I could win it because I knew what the challenges were. And I knew that like this, how I've seen the show and I was like, well, I can do that. Like if you told me to make something on the fly, that's like all I know. That's all I do. Yeah. Like that's all I know how to do. So, so someone fills, so your friend fills out the application for you. And then did you have to come for an audition? Like, did you have to come down and, and meet with producers and stuff like that? Or did they accept you based purely on the on the application because you're like the 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 story of oh I went to the audition with my friend for support and got the leading role like that. <laughs> right yeah they they came to so we sent an audition tape that another guy that I worked with he worked in locations he was an aspiring filmmaker very happy to help me make this audition tape um and you know looking back like yeah I looked really cool and confident and like it was a cool audition tape it was like way better than like what did you, you what, what was on it? What was on it? It was just like I was like dancing. I looked really fun and like, but it was just because there was this filmmaker behind this pretty, like, it's just to, so they see what you look like. Right. But he took it to this like edited, cool place. Nice. So I think that had something to do with it. And then when they came, 
um, to Vancouver for to meet you in person, and then you brought the clothes you had made or whatever. Um, that was when like, and then you're like right in front of the producers, and they're talking to you and stuff. And I think they said later when I left the room, they like knew they found their guy. And what was that experience like being on Project Runway Canada? I mean, listen, like it was. I was the youngest guy there, and probably like. I don't know, the most sort of like excited to be doing something like that. I think a lot of the other designers that were there with me were, you know, older, educated, working, a little bit more jaded, let's say, and weren't as comfortable being locked up and having your rights taken away. And like, it is a little bit like being in jail. You're kind of sequestered, right? Like no outside world interaction. Yeah, like it's, they lock you up. Um, I was okay with that, I think. I went a little bit crazy, obviously, like we all did, but... I think a lot of the other designers would tell you that it was like the worst experience of their life. So it's kind of like equal parts, worst experience, equal parts, best experience. Um, Thank God I won. I think if they, if I didn't end up winning, I had given them enough that they could have made me look like a terrible, awful person. But um, (laughs) fortunately, it's just so much comes out. Yeah. Well, you're under stress and the cameras are rolling all the time. Like it's a very, it's almost like designer boot camp in a way as well. Not in the sense that you are learning new things in a boot camp kind of way, but you're creating things under such specific conditions that it must push you to different places. Yeah, no one to help you. In fact, everyone to not help you. And the, But the, the best part about it was being in a room with other people doing exactly what you do who are just like you, but so different than you at the same time, but inspiring each other, but trying not to because you're competing with them, but like learning from everybody watching process happen in front of you that like you've never seen before. Like that was when people ask like, where did you go to school? I was Project Runway was my school. Like that's where I learned how all these people were being fashion designers. Like, and like, you know, I think I, I won partially because I was really fast. I, I don't really know what process you were taught in school to do things, but it's a lot longer to do things as if you were going to like take it to a factory to multiply it later. Um, I was very fearless in my cut. I don't really know what is wrong. So I was just kind of making things, um, I also just figured out what they liked and kept giving it to them and never got called out for it. So that's called strategy. That. That's, that's called strategy. Yeah. <laughs> do you have do you have an outfit or a, or a look that you created from from the Project Runway season that stands out in your mind? Where you're like, oh yeah, that was that was a good one. Yeah, there's the purple dress was the dress of the season. And can you describe that? Um, it was a silk dress. It kind of had like Ariel esque shell, maybe pleated shapes of silk across the bust all folded, hand-tucked throughout the body, and then trimmed with uh, pleating that I made uh, out of the same silk and then sort of layers of the skirt all the way to the floor. It had a bit of a flamenco vibe. Uh, It just fit her really well, and the styling was on point, and um, it was for Iman's charity, and it won that challenge, which was a big challenge to kind of win over Iman's heart, I thought. So Iman wore your dress. Uh, she wore a different dress that I had made her similar to this one, but it wasn't this. It wasn't the purple one. The, uh, Ramona Cavesa actually bought the dress and put it into production. That's and, pretty cool. Yeah, like that's really, really, really cool. Yeah, it was. I mean, when you're 23, all of that stuff was really cool. Like, absolutely. You know, you're like, ah. What? I, rem- I remember when it was on, and and you got blessed with the uh, the tag addicted to Bedell afterwards. Yeah, so which I was is a very nice monogram to have. So in Victoria, my friends at Addiction Boutique 
made me that shirt. So I was selling, I would sell my clothes at Addiction Boutique. And so they made the Addicted to Bedell shirt that I wore at the end. And then we ended up selling a lot of them after the fact. So that's so cool. <laughs> and, and that really, that really launched you as, as we know you as a, as a designer in Canada, right? Yeah. That was the project where we definitely started my Canadian designer career, I would say. And since then, you've you've had the pleasure of showing at a variety of different shows in Toronto. Everything from Toronto Fashion Week to um, to fa- to the fat fashion events, a whole scope of things. I know from just um, being a fan of yours over the years that sustainability has been a big part of your collections, from your very first one to the eighty-one pound challenge that you did most recently. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with sustainability and, and how that's kind of manifest in your in your work? Yeah, I would say that when I was very young, my aunt Cindy Tour wrote a book about the environment, about household cleaners. It was called Good Planets Are Hard to Find. This was in the 80s. So people weren't talking about stuff yet. But in my family, it was like, you know, we all knew about it. We all knew about recycling. I think I think when my fifth or sixth birthday, my mom made me and all my friends make recycled paper. Um, it's <laughs> always it. been to me part of reality. I think like you have to be cautious of what you're wasting. You shouldn't be throwing everything away, blah, blah, blah. Like it's always like turn off your car, like just anything that you can conserve and the environment and all of that. So when it came to having a voice and being in an industry that's very, you know, toxic in a lot of ways, um, you kind of have to decide like, what am I going to say with this voice? And so especially coming out of Project Runway Canada, I knew a lot of people were going to be listening and I was moving to Toronto from Vancouver and I thought Vancouver was more progressive at the time than Toronto. And so I thought I would take advantage of this platform to kind of talk about, you know, sustainable fabrics, organic cotton, what the difference between like a bamboo versus a polyester, like, um, and the collection was called Eco Warriors and literally nobody even talked about it. Like I was like the only one talking about it and nobody they talked about the collection, but yeah. the, the eco part was not a, a, an element of it that really got trumpeted. Right. You're right. They, they wanted to talk more about like the styles and like the looks and the fashion of it. And I was talking about like the bones of it, like, but I was probably ahead of myself. Like you're not going to be an activist at 24 necessarily, but um, it's always been there and I've always, and then I kind of realized, well, I'm always sort of sustainable just in the fact that like I make everything in studio, like you're buying surplus fabrics. A lot of times you're taking like fabric someone's done with and making something out of it. Um, then it wasn't until, yeah, Value Village approached me, Eco Fashion Week asked me to do the collection and it was just perfect and very exciting and I knew I could make it really cool and I knew it would get a lot of attention and, and I knew that it was a little bit about what the like what the the instructions like what that program was like how did how did what did you were you working with Value Village getting fabrics out of the stores what was the relationship there So Value Village basically wants a collection made out of 81 pounds of uh pre-used clothing which is their product so you would go in and by the time they wouldn't sell it uh it would go on another rack and then You'd pick from that rack and uh, make a collection that would weigh 81 pounds, which is the amount of clothing that every North American throws away, or that the amount of textile waste we produce, I would say. Which is shocking. Yeah, it is shocking. And I don't know how accurate. I mean, these facts come from Value Village, so um, I'm sure they've done their research. I'm sure it's pretty, it's pretty close to that anyway. And uh, yeah, the collection ended up being a lot of leather, a lot of fur. <laughs> 
I just really wanted to hit the mark. Nobody that they'd ever asked to do this before had ever done the full weight. And so we accomplished the full 80, 81 pounds. I think we were like a bit over. I actually didn't realize that that's where the 81 came from, that that was how much all of the pieces in your collection together weighed. Yeah, we actually weighed it. Ah, uh, that's so, so cool. It was, I think, 34 looks and uh, 81 pounds. So, And it showed at Toronto Women's Fashion Week last season. And then it also went on to the Vancouver Art Gallery, did it not? Uh, it went to the Vancouver Museum. The Vancouver Museum. Or what was mu- it like? The seeing, Museum of Vancouver, I should say. What was it like seeing your collection in a museum? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's just like when you're making them, it's clothes. You know, I wasn't really thinking about museum. I was thinking like really cool fashion show. Like I wanted a lot of movement. There was a lot of fringe. Um, I've done that a million times. And then we got to the Museum of Vancouver and I was like, okay, <laughs> wait a minute, how do I make this as exciting as a live show? And it was like a lot of thought, a lot of process. We had these mannequins. We had to, I had them like make sure they touched up all the mannequins, made them perfect. And then we had the masks on the back of the heads of each model on the runway to have this illusion of, you know, look, taking That's a second right. look That's at things right. and like not just discarding things, but like take a look at the other side, like make sure there's nothing you can't fix. And so we took the and masks. And I remember in the show that was, it was a really kind of, exciting in the way that it made you kind of pay attention a little bit when the models turned around and there was the mask at the back of their head, like to see the face looking back at you when you saw the back of the garment was really quite striking. Yeah. And you want, I was kind of like accusing you. I was kind of like, you know, I just, I really want people to think of like, take a second look at things, you know, these garments you're throwing away are not damaged enough to throw away. Like you can get it fixed. You can update it. You can hand it down to someone. Um, The fact that we end up like bailing them up and shipping them off it just it bugs me. So um, the show is really about sort of that. And we ended up putting the masks on the faces of, the, of each mannequin in the museum and set them up in a way that it sort of told a story and you could walk through. Nothing's sort of like all lined up. Like it was or, it was an organic room of uh, really sort of striking mannequins staring back at you with these interesting clothes that you were kind of like, what am I looking at? Like it was as far as in a museum, I mean, there's I thought it was some of the pieces that we were making clothes out of were like from the fifties or from the forties. So it was interesting to see the history there in a museum, but yeah, it was, um, it was exciting to be in a museum. I'm going to be in another museum in November and I didn't ever know that I'd be like in two museums one year. (laughs) Seriously. Well, I want to get back to the, to that other, the November thing in a sec, but I just want to go back to the 81 pound challenge because there's so much happening in that because you're thinking about, pulling the fabrics, you're thinking about wanting to have this point of view of making a statement about the 81 pounds and sustainability and our textile waste, but you're still creating a collection. Like you still want to have your designer, your artist point of view as you're incorporating all these other elements. Was that, how was that to navigate? Like, was it, did it take you longer? Was it exciting? I mean, well, you're starting with something instead of just a blank canvas, you're starting with like a canvas with something on it. Um, I really wanted to use elements of the garments that we found that were intact and that I liked the style of and sort of, you know, protect that, but then cut away anything that was damaged or, you know, cut away anything I didn't like about the style and then create a new texture out of what I would cut away. We're trying to use every piece of it too. We were trying to use like the whole buffalo, let's say. So any waste we were creating while making the collection, we tried to use any little piece we could on the garment. 
Um, it was a lot of like texturing. Like I would like take a trench coat and crop it and then use the bottom of it, fringe it, and then attach it to the crop. So you've got this really great fringe crop jacket. Um, those were, I think, my most successful pieces in the process. And then also taking sort of like these wool coats without shredded lining and someone's throwing it away, but you like, you literally just take the lining out and then we were making these really cool pants out of the coat. Because I know in Canada, like uh, all I wear is my heavy winter wool pant all winter. Yeah. So um, that was really successful too. We also did a wide leg pant out of a trench coat, but like left all the trench coat style lines and the buttons and the cape and everything. Yeah. So they were really great. Those I think were the most popular thing that everybody wanted at the end of the show. Did people buy pieces? Are they living in people's closets somewhere? Are they packed up and ready for the next installation? Where's where 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 are the eighty one pounds? <laughs> um, they're here and there. I think Doug Copeland bought uh, Karen Mills one of the jackets immediately right off the runway. Um, and Kaplan bought a few pieces right off the runway. Um, you know, there a few things go right away. Stacy McKenzie. Obviously, it was like that purple leather dress is mine. Um, she also took the earrings, you know, like she gets whatever she wants. She's been a big fan of yours from the beginning. Yeah, Stacy is my goddess. So she, I love dressing her. Is she someone like oftentimes I've spoken to designers and, you know, there is always, I guess we would call them a muse in days gone by. Perhaps they have someone in mind, not even necessarily their client, because that's talking about a whole other kind of way of approaching one's aesthetic in business, but is Stacy someone that inspires you in terms of the ideal Bedell girl per se? Yeah, I would say that when Stacy comes to my studio, she only reaches for the most outrageous pieces on my rack. And that is what I live for. Like if all I could make is outrageous things, then I'd be happy, right? And maybe I should just do that. But um, you know, Stacy McKenzie only wants to wear and I think I honestly can say that when I see her wearing my clothes, I think that's when she looks her best. Like I've seen her wear a lot of things, but when she's wearing Bedell, it's like something's happening over there. Like there's definitely something happening. It must be so exciting to see your work come to life in that kind of incredible way. Yeah. No, she is an, she is an inspiring creature that walks this planet with us. And in terms of your work now, like you, you're predominantly doing custom and, in, and, and, and you're working on a pretty cool TV show, no? Yeah, I'm working on a few things. I've got some costume design happening. I've got some custom work happening. Um, I'm planning to produce a sort of warehouse rave-esque throwback show. Are you bringing back the rave, Evan? I feel like it's time. <laughs> I think I see the kids trying to do it. And so I'd like to just kind of like nostalgically bring back, I think at 2002, because I think the towers came down and it kind of killed a lot of stuff, including the rave scene. And I think that... To bring people back to 2002 when it all ended and like that song that was so popular that, you know, that Sarah McLaughlin like delirium remix and like oh, yeah. bring people right kind of back to that moment. It'd be really fun in a, like a fashion moment and sort of lux it up, like give them their baby tees and their fat pants and their soothers, but do it with like, you know, luxury, like maybe an Angora baby tee and like a cashmere fat pant and like a jewel encrusted soother. Like, I think it could be really cool. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I'm all about the cashmere fat pants. That would be amazing. <laughs> right. Who doesn't want those? Everybody. Um, I sense you are not a fan of like the norm, the, the norm core and the, the, you know, the kind of blase aesthetic that's yeah. been happening in the past. Yeah. I like the, here's the thing. I don't mind the norm core because I get that, like, <clears throat> I get the reason for it. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that these what kids you are think just, is what? I just think the kids are so sick of fashion 
that they're like, just I'm going to just wear my dad's clothes. And then that becomes fashion. But I'm okay with that because, you know, what? I'm fucking sick of fashion, too. Like, you know, it's like, give me something or I'm going to start wearing my dad's clothes. And I get that they're like crying out for something, anything. Do you distinguish between style, fashion and dressing? Yes, yeah, style is completely different than fashion. Fashion you can buy, style you can't, and dressing is like someone who don't give. Right. Like I'm dressing cuz I have to do this today. I'm not dressing for any other reason than I can't go outside naked. You know. The utilitarian. Fashion, you can go out and buy it. If you have money, you can totally go buy some fashion. It's right over there at the store. Is fashion something, is fashion other people telling you what to wear and style is you intrinsically deciding how to represent yourself through clothes? Yeah, style is something that some people have and some people think about. And, you know, you can kind of take anything and put it on and be stylish if you know what you're doing. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I. I make fashion pieces, so I'm looking for, like, the fashion girl who wants to wear something that's, like... Well, you have very dramatic pieces. They're yeah. amazing. Like, they're they're all one of a kind, which, you know, to as a segue, when you get a commission, um, what's your process? Like, do you drape? Do you sketch? Do you have long, long sunlit walks with your client? How do you, how do you work together? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Imagine every client. I have a long sunlit walk. <laughs> I would love that. Um I so Danielle Meter actually recently taught me how to illustrate. Oh, that's so, cool. Yeah, she is just so brilliant and she taught me just a few quick little things and it's changed my life as a designer. Um so I've started to illustrate and then I'll kind of lay the fabric out and I'll do a couple marks and basically I start with the shoulder and the neck because to me a garment needs to fit from shoulder to shoulder across the back or it just doesn't fit. Anything else is kind of you can do whatever you want. So I kind of did, I get that down, and, and then you know you decide the length of whatever sleeve, and you decide the length of the armhole, you decide the length of the hem, whatever you're doing, where how close it's going to be to the body, how away from the body you want it. Are you mixing two different textiles? How are they going to mix together? Where are you going to start? We'll start with the heavy. We'll try to add the like flowing to that. Um, what are you going to pair this with? Well, you know you're going to probably make a pant. So like this is kind of cropped at the waist. Well, let's bring the pant high waisted. Okay, like how far down is the crotch? Well, I want her to be kind of androgynous. Let's drop that crotch a bit and sort of taper the leg in. Um, I always cut, like I cut, I'm a cutter. So I can just look at it I, and I'll cut it out. Like, I like don't, on the table? Like Yeah, I, I just go and I cut because I know what I want it to look like. So I've made enough clothes at this point where I can look down at a flat piece of fabric and know what shape I want to cut out. So and you're I know not that, using a pattern. You're a freehand cutting. No, yeah, I freehand cut by eye. Which is freaks a lot of people out. Um, I, I am I am not even like remotely experienced with that, and it's freaking me out a little bit. Like just freehand cutting out on your table. Yeah, and I mean you know what you generally want, let's say, and so you I'll do things like maybe I'll cut it slightly big, and then I'll drape it over here, and I'll tuck it, tack it, mark it, trim it, and then when you get to the sewing machine, if you're sewing it yourself and you've cut it yourself, then you can kind of like okay, well here's halfway, kind of like pin that, like start over here, go. Um, but it's just a process um, of trusting yourself, and it's all, it's very fearless, like fearless draping. Like when you you cut a shape out, there's no wrong. In my eyes, there's no wrong shape. Like <clears throat> pick up pick up pick somewhere to start. You start with the neck. Okay, well, what do you want to do around her neck? What do you what do you want to do? Do you want to do V? Do you want to do a crew neck? Do you want to do a boat neck? Do you want to do a turtle? Like what are you going to do for her neck? 
So, okay, well, if that's the neck you want to do, like cut that shape out, start there. And then from there, what are you going to do for the arm? Like, do you want it like a tight arm? Do you want it like a loose arm? Is it a tank top? So cut that shape out. It doesn't, there's no right shape. Like if you cut right. a tiny little hole that no one can get their arm through, fine. But like, you know, you learn by your mistakes and sometimes maybe it's just slightly too big. I'm not, I'm not the guy you go to to get a really nicely fitted shirt. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not, you're not coming yeah. to me for that. You want something experimental. You still want something that, if, that has a, some sort of a fit to it. And I just really believe the fit starts from shoulder to shoulder. Do you use a Judy or do you always use the client as your? I only use a Judy. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, you can't really do what I do without the Judy because yeah. it's, it's, it's all draping. There's no patterns. So you, you really have to like, you cut it out, you put it on the Judy, you fit it on the Judy. Um, yeah. You try not to let her dictate too much your design. <laughs> Just enough so they feel invested and appreciative and not enough to compromise your point of view. <laughs> yeah. And I think like if I could not be doing all the finishing, I'd be happy. So I'd like to like, you know, drape, pin, tuck, sew to a point and then once it's there and once it's fit, then hand it off to someone else. To For like the seaming and all that finicky, the hemming, finicky Like I'll stuff. do it and I'm not, I don't care enough to be like taking all my time with it. Um, that's again, it's someone else. Like, I think what I get excited about is the creation of it and then the finishing of it is less exciting, but I still have to do it, you know, currently. Well, you know, when the client calls <laughs> now, I might make you blush a little bit, but I've heard, I've had conversations with a number of people that have described you as Canada's Alexandra McQueen. Which is, re I know, see, blush, which is very cool, but that's a pretty, like, that's a nice big shoe to walk into. Does that, how does that sit with you? I mean, he's like, he's fucking Alexander McQueen. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. He just kind of made it okay for people like me to do fashion. Um, he's always been, you know, he'll do his own thing. People rare like in his early career nobody liked his work everybody thought it was just too much too theatrical mm -hmm. um i think he's you know very rough around the edges i don't know how he upkept himself like i just i know that his work is so inspiring across the planet i'm not the only one who's aspiring or you know inspired by him but yeah alexander mcqueen is like the king and i take no you know i I'm obviously like flattered if anybody wants to say that. Obviously, Canada versus London or whatever. <clears throat> um, I don't he know. Made I, it okay to break the rules, right? Like, yeah, uh, he took away the rules. It's like you didn't have to be this sort of stuffy, uptight, snobby, pretentious type of person to make fashion. You could just really love it as an art form, and a, a, the storytelling of it is what really excites me too. It's like where costume design is almost more exciting to me than fashion design because there's such a bigger story to tell through it. And uh, fashion, I think for me, lives in moments. And, you know, the top, my top 10 fashion moments all came from McQueen, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's obviously like when he died, it was like awful. Yeah, it was a, it was a very sad moment for the industry, for sure. Yeah, there was a lot of tears. And I, I was walking into Fanshawe College to talk to like, a, give a seminar to like these students. I was walking through the hall and my business partner messaged that he died and I like ran to the bathroom and I was like crying and like the teacher was like, come out, you've got to like do this thing. And I was like, how am I supposed I to do this on. thing right now? I can't go talk about fashion like I care when he just died. Like, And so we ended up just talking about 
McQueen in his career and how much he's inspired everybody. I had these students up here bawling. These students had to leave the room because they were so <laughs> emotional. Like it was a pretty heavy time, but um. Well, he made a lot of changes in the industry, and it's important to talk about things like that. Yeah, he's an artist, you know. Artist is a word that that we've talked a lot about in terms of how you identify yourself. Do you identify more as being an artist or a designer? Um, or is I feel there like, a difference? Um, well, no, fashion designer is harder for me to identify with an artist for sure. I think I'm more of like an installation artist, I guess. Um, my work, I think I want to create memories. I want you to like fantasize. I want you to dream. So if you look at a show and you like give them this moment where she like steps out and it's like the lights and the everything and just so fabulous. And you're like, ugh, I'll never forget that. And you get like those goosebumps. Like that's kind of where the timing of it and everything and like the precision of it. And you have to like, who's the girl? What part of the song? What shoe is she wearing? Like Peter, what does her makeup look like? Peter's my stylist. He do, he's, you know, a man that I work with on these deliveries. And it's, it's all about the delivery. And at that point, I think it's like, you know, a fashion designer is more like taking a pencil, drawing something out, going and picking swatches and handing it off and getting it made and then curating like a nice line of clothing. And you can like shop it with like the top goes with this pant. Like, like none of that really gets me excited. Like I'm more about the show. I'm more about the like story you're telling in the show, how like the mood changes and what you're making people feel. And so it feels more like an installation piece than, you know, fashion designer, retail business or something like. What have you got on the horizon, Evan? You've got some pretty cool stuff coming up. Yeah, most of the stuff I have coming up, I can't even talk about. Ooh, top I, secret. Must be juicy. I've signed some non-disclosure agreements, so we're not going to talk about that stuff yet. Um, I, Like I said, I do want to produce a sort of warehouse rave throwback show with uh, the guy that started Snug. So that I can talk about because mm. I'm going to try to tease him a little bit. Um, I've got a installation of virtual reality installation at the Gardner Museum in November. Very cool. And then, yeah, who knows? An exhibit in, did you say it was in New York in November? It's in the Gardner, sorry, uh, the Gardner oh, Museum the in, in Toronto. Toronto. <clears throat> Another museum and then some top secret stuff. Some down. Top, yeah, I just can't talk about the top secret hey man, stuff. We love the top secret stuff. Well, it sounds like life is pretty good for you, Evan Bedell. Pretty happy. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thanks for the conversation. Yeah, no problem, Donna. Uh, you can see a lot of the images that we talked to here today with our conversation with Evan Bedell on fashiontalks.ca. And you can follow Fashion Talks on social at Fashion Talks Podcast. You can follow me at This Is Donna B, and that's a B, just the letter B. Fashion Talks is produced in partnership with CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards, and you can find out more about CAFA at CAFA Awards. That's C-A-F-A-W-A-R-D-S. Thanks to our wonderful sound engineer, Paolo Fugioli, and to Margarita Brighton, our production coordinator today. If you enjoyed our episode today, please tell everyone about it. It really helps get the word out there. And if you feel inclined to give us a high five on iTunes or the podcatcher you're used to listening to us right now, that would be awesome. Sharing uh, about the podcast on social and, and subscribing uh, is so important and it's really, really appreciated. Until next time, this is Donna Bishop at Fashion Talks.